Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown, and I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer, and today on The Breakdown, well, we made it. The primary election is over. Yay! No huge surprises, but some big political earthquakes, at least in local races here in San Francisco and down in Los Angeles, to chew over today and probably tomorrow and the next day as well. Yeah, well, we'll be talking about this until the next election. But here with us to do so is our regular post-election analyst, the one and only Joe Garofoli. He's senior political writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. Hey, Joe. Hello, how are you guys doing? We're doing We're well. Glad to be back. Better than the day after the election. We've got some better sleep than last Chase night. Boudin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, we're also checking in with Christine DeBerry. She is founder and executive director of the Prosecutors Alliance. They're a newish group made up of DAs committed to changing the criminal justice system. She's also a former chief of staff in the San Francisco DA's office. So, a lot to talk about with you as well. Hey, Christine. Hey there. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, Joe, let's start with you and and really you, Scott, too. Interested for your thoughts as well. <laughs> Thanks, Marisa. <laughs> but uh, any big picture takeaways, Joe? I mean, the national media thinks that, you know, this is the end of progressivism and criminal justice reform. I'm pretty sure that by next year, California will be a deep red state. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that has been the hot take. You know, uh, I, I, that is just so mind blowing for me. I, this is a this is it was a, a local race. This is a San Francisco race that is being interpreted nationally as such. Uh, first of all, if, if this was the end of progressivism, uh, California still has a universal health care, or San Francisco still has universal health care. This is still a, a sanctuary city that that uh, that really uh, means it. Uh, and and it also you know there's uh, the highest one of the highest in the, in the nation minimum wages. Progressivism is baked into the cake here. Uh, that's not going away. And criminal justice reform is too. I mean, even the people who opposed uh, or who were pushing the recall said, you know, we, we're for criminal justice reform too. We just don't want to do it in the same way that uh, the Chase was doing it. Is so, the cake I mean, spiked, Scott, yeah. is the question. Yeah, yeah. Yes. well, well I, I, 
I would agree. I guess obviously San Francisco is still a very liberal, some would say crazy liberal city. Uh, but I think what it also says is that even crazy liberals want to feel safe on the streets. Yes. They don't want to have to, you know, walk over and around homeless encampments all the time. And, you know, that is not political. It may be politically incorrect to say some of those things, you know, but I think what the voters in the privacy of their of the voting booth, as if there's still I a voting I don't even booth. know, or the privacy of Twitter. I mean, I feel yeah. like, I actually feel, I would push back on that. I think that the, the sort of popular take right now, given the 60-40 vote and just the conversation around a lot of this here, has been this kind of pushback on on a lot of these things. But before we get deep into that, I just want to say, I mean, broadly, however, you know, you interpret the Boudin results, I do think it is fair to say that here in L.A. with a lot of these local races, it does seem like, you know, public safety and quality of life, homelessness were on the ballot and that people do have concerns about the way the state is going. I mean, even to the down to like things like the fact that voters here seem to be rejecting this huge uh, bond for public transit, which I don't think I can. I've been here for over 15 years. I don't remember a time when a bond was rejected in a local race. Yeah, I think it's just dissatisfaction with government. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think and one of the most telling polls of all the polls that we've seen lately was the one that said it was about 65 percent of people said they were afraid to come downtown uh, to San Francisco and other big cities because of fears of crime. I mean, that is that is mind blowing because uh, let's face it, in addition to you two live in San Francisco, everyday fears the people who live there feel you know, this is a tourist center. Tourism is a big industry here, and that affects the business community. So it was the business community and residents united on this issue. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to defend San Francisco, too. It's it's lovely out right now. It, look at, look My at kids it, are sunny. at the Giants yeah. game. We had a nice morning. <laughs> I ran around Lake Merced. Well, let's bring Christine in, because, Christine, you have been in the DA's office. You worked for George Gascon, uh, former DA here. You briefly worked for uh, Chase Boudin as well. What are your big-picture thoughts? on why this recall went through and and with pretty significant margin. Yeah, I think the San Francisco recall really is emblematic of the amount of money you pour into a race has a significant impact on the outcome, right? The $7 million that was spent is more than has been spent on a mayor's race in this city. Uh, It's more than we've ever spent on a DA's race, which is usually somewhere closer to a million dollars. And I think you know, the, the the recall people were smart to capitalize on a moment as the Gavin Newsom recall capitalized on the pandemic and the angst and the anxiety that people were feeling coming out of that. We haven't shaken all of that. The consequences of what we've been through uh, certainly made a very tough time for everybody and cities saw it the worst, right? And New York had a mass exodus during the pandemic that is just, you know, now starting to come back to life. And so I think that that um, that created a window of opportunity to to jump in there. And then with the amount of money, it just sort of drowned out the opportunity to talk about the other side of the equation. Well, let me push back on that a little bit, because yes, certainly the yes on H folks had a better than two to one advantage. I mean, a huge amount of money, probably $8 million to three or so for the no side. But, you know, I... I uh... I'm not sure any amount of money from the no on each campaign necessarily would have changed the results because I feel like a lot of the feelings, and let's face it, this is not about facts as much as it's about feelings. You know, people feel unsafe. They feel things are out of control. And I think, I mean, I know I heard from a lot of people who are, I would say, very liberal uh, who could not wait to, to vote yes on H. And I don't think any amount of money, any argument really 
probably would have changed their mind. And so I, I guess I want to ask you, Christine, like, do you think where where is the legitimacy in what voters uh, said this week, if, if any? Uh, there's no doubt that there is um, real feelings underlying that. I would never doubt that somebody <laughs> is motivated by a real experience or a real feeling. I think where the missed opportunity was here and where the, the cascade happened is that a lot of the things voters are feeling actually are not the responsibility of the district attorney, right? People are very upset about homelessness for, for a whole range of reasons. One, I don't wanna see it all the way to like, we should be providing more, right? There's a whole spectrum of feelings there. None of that is in the district attorney's control. And the you know, Joe mentioned another poll, the, the poll I found the most significant in this conversation was the recent examiner poll that said 72% of San Franciscans felt the city was on the wrong track and they felt more dissatisfied with the mayor and more dissatisfied with the board of supervisors than they even did with the DA. And they're not going to be able to hide behind him anymore because he's gone. And let me tell you, the problems persist, right? It's like suggesting one person's responsible for the economy and bumping them and then expecting a massive rebound. You know, we're going to still have the issues we have in this city. But do you think, I mean, you have been at the forefront of a lot of the conversation around criminal justice reform. And a lot of this predates Chase of Boudin's election. It predates uh, even, you know, George Gascon going to L.A. Um, And I mean... You know, you we all hear it every day. Prop 47 is the favorite punching bag of the state. As somebody who's looking at this not just as a local race, but as a broader movement, are you worried? Is there a pendulum swing happening? And how do folks on your side of things kind of want to push back on that? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a pendulum swing. I do think that voters are asking and getting more refined in how they're thinking about these issues, right? We have gone through some really highs and some really lows around these issues. And there's no doubt that watching George Floyd be murdered on video impacted us all very deeply and caused some real reactions in us and want for change. And then we went through the entirety of the pandemic, which caused us and and yanked us in an entirely different direction. And so voters are trying to figure out how do I, how do I, how do both of these things coexist in my local community? How do I have safety for me, my children, my neighbors? And how do I do that in a way that doesn't look repulsive to me, that doesn't offend my values? And that is the dialogue in the in the exploration we're on. I think the really great news is San Francisco is a great example here. San Franciscans supported almost all of the policies when you ask them about the reform policies. They did not support the DA's approach in that, and that was where they expressed with their vote. But if you talk to them about what they want to see government and these systems do, they're very aligned with the work that reformers are doing. Joe, what are your thoughts about that? And what message do you think Democrats should take from this as we approach the November midterms? Well, one question I had for Christine, I think we talked about this the other day, uh, for story didn't for the Chronicle, was the um, the, the mayor, mayor Breed wants to put 200 more officers on the street. Can you have more police in uniform on the street and still have the type of criminal justice reform that you're trying to achieve? Well, I'll, I'll start with San Francisco has more police officers per resident than any other region in the state. So I'm not sure that more police, but I but what I hear underlying that question, Joe, is like, can we still say, yes, we want police? We don't want to defund police. We don't want a, a place where there is no 
place to turn when we need assistance? I think absolutely. Does it mean we have to make adjustments in that process? Yes. I would hope that part of what the mayor does is demand that the San Francisco Police Department be more efficient instead of just bigger. That would be amazing, right? Like solve more than 6% of the cases would probably lead to better safety. I think on top of that, you have to layer in real checks and balances, real accountability on police. And that's a that's a journey we're all on. Um, that you can have a 700 and now $70 million agency with relatively um, with bare responsiveness can be challenging, right? And I think it's challenging for taxpayers. It's challenging for the rest of the agencies in that system to really drive change. What do you think, uh, what do you make of the fact that just across the Bay in a, you know, in a much more conservative county, Contra Costa County, uh, Diane Becton, who uh, also a progressive prosecutor, ran against a tough on crime deputy uh, DA, Mary Knox, uh, who had a lot of law enforcement background. And, you know, Becton did very, very well. Why, why did why were those two results so different, do you think? Um, well, one, DA Becton was financially competitive with her opponent, And two, I think she was very crisp in how she talked about the issues. There was a big pushback in that county when she charged a deputy for killing an unarmed man, um, primarily from the elected sheriff, quite frankly. Um, And that, I think, created a real opportunity for Contra Costa voters to think about this very question that Joe was asking. Can we have police and still have safety? Yes. And we have to make sure that there's uh, that there are borders around that, that there are fences around what that authority looks like for police. Um, so I th- D.A. Becton ran a great campaign. She worked very hard. She has governed very well. She has, um, you know, gone from being appointed to elected and sat in that seat with a lot of grace and humility and been able to bring people along in the conversation with her, engaging with the community. And it speaks a lot to not just her individual Um, human skills, her political skills, but to a pathway of how we proceed in this work. Before we let you go, I'm curious, and Joe, maybe jump in after her too, but, you know, we saw uh, Attorney General Rob Bonta just crush his opponents, uh, more than 50% support um, for a guy who's never run statewide and has been at the forefront of these reforms. At the same time, Christine, your former boss in L.A., George Gascon, is facing a potential recall of his own. Do you see any lessons from the statewide statewide vote and, and kind of how are you thinking about this in your work as you move forward? Yeah, I think the statewide results are really encouraging. Um, in San Francisco, on the same ballot where people said we're going to make a change in our district attorney, they voted overwhelmingly for the attorney general that has espoused very strong reform credentials. Um, so that tells us that the local election was something different than whether people embrace reform and the path that we're on there. Um, these local elections are going to be challenges. Listen, it is a strategy of the Republican Party to make the progressive prosecutors famous. The Republican attorney general in Virginia, who was recently elected, was quoted with those exact words, make them famous. And he said it to the Republican Strategy Committee, and there is a massive effort underway to try and hang around the necks of anybody that dares think about a different pathway forward, that they own every human crisis and tragedy that happens in their community. It's untrue. It's unfair. Um, It worked in this case. And hopefully that as we keep moving forward, we will learn better ways of responding to those types of misinformation. Joe, any thoughts like about that kind of contrast? Yeah, well, a couple of things. One, I mean, 
you know, that yes, there, there was Republican money fueling that got the uh, recall on the ballot in San Francisco. Uh, but you know, let's let's be real. This there's only seven percent of uh, San Francisco voters are Republicans. This the, Chase went down at the hand of his fellow Democrats, um, and he and you know he raced. He had three million bucks, so he had enough to run the type of campaign that he wanted to run. You know, but yes, this is going to law and order will be on the ballot. We're going to hear Republicans pushing that. We're going to hear fellow Democrats push that in L.A. Uh, in the mayor's race, and if the if the Gascon. Uh, recall gets on the ballot. There's still some doubt about that. They're, they're about at least a very different county, right? I mean, yes, 10 times yes. the, the number of, of voters as a, or residents rather as San Francisco. Right, right. So there's still some doubt whether it'll get on. Uh, but it's it's close. And I think they have another month to go before they can yeah. uh, gather signatures. Well, and to but your it's point, definitely, they're, we're going to be out. It, it will be it'll be pushed in a number of key races. Yeah. Christine, last word. Yeah, I was just going to say to Joe's point, law and order was on the ballot, right? Anne-Marie Schubert ran as that candidate. She said, I'm going to end the chaos in San Francisco and Los Angeles. I will take over those offices. Her entire platform was a critique of those two cities. She didn't break double digits, yeah. right? She walked out of that election last place with 7% of the vote. So it, as much as the national media wants to write the story that the San Francisco recall was the the harbinger of all things to come for reform, I would hope to see the the other side of that story be the the complete <laughs> devastation of a candidate espousing the opposite statewide is a harbinger. Yeah, of course, that's more complicated because she didn't have an R next to her name. It was a little, you know, but it's it's like a lot of these things. It's just more complex than, you know. A, right, a, including a, the chaser race. And totally everything. Yeah. Christian Soto DeBerry, executive director of the Prosecutors Alliance. We really appreciate you coming on today. My pleasure. Great to be with all of Thank you. you. Thanks so much. And uh, Joe, stick with us. We are going to take a short break. You know, there's still about half the ballot statewide to be counted. So make sure to keep an eye on our continuing update, continually updating live results page at kqed.org slash elections. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the San Francisco Chronicles, Joe Garofoli. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer and our friend Joe Garofoli of the San Francisco Chronicle. We are talking primary election results. And Joe and Scott, um, you know, we left off talking about Amory Schubert. She was the Sacramento DA who did uh, mount a challenge to Rob Bonta for attorney general. Did not work out for her. Also did not work out for another no party preference candidate who was getting a lot of national attention himself, uh, Michael Schellenberger. And uh, Scott, start with 
with you. I mean, this is a guy who really made his campaign about the homeless crisis, about kind of pointing out the problems, and again, didn't crack double digits. He did well, you know. And I think we have to take a step back because we all know too much. We know yeah. way too much about uh, who these. I, I would bet we know so how many, much. Well, I mean, how many people even have heard of Michael Schellenberger? I mean, it's not because I have, I have known Michael for for well, all right, but you know too much. But I mean, you know, <laughs> voters are busy. I mean, I think they, you know, they have a lot going on in their lives, especially now. But uh, you know, Schellenberger, you know, he was became sort of more of a darling of the of the Twitterati, the Twitterati, which again is sure. not like the real world. Yeah. Uh, so right. I think that we in the media were thinking, oh, it would be great, it would be exciting to cover a Schellenberger Newsom race, and it probably would have been, you know, would have been more interesting. But that's just not where voters are. I mean, they look for the R next right. to the name, you know. But yeah, they have no. I mean, if you do not have a party. Um, affiliation you have no uh, you have no connection to, to money you have no connection unless you're independently wealthy uh, no connection to to local voters or party operations infrastructure although Steve Poisoner came very close when he but ran he had a lot of sure. money Steve he did Poisner he had a lot of money yes. demi billionaire <laughs> well there's that yeah no I mean it's true and like look at Rick Caruso nobody you know he was not a household name in this way a few Wasn't months really ago a Democrat but either. when you <laughs> drop 40 million dollars suddenly we're talking here so but but I guess the question then becomes, in a state like this with one-party rule, is there a path for because, – because the GOP, you know, label is great to get you through a primary, but is kind of the death knell in the general election. Right. And, and the person who's facing that right now is Lonnie Chen, uh, who's running for state uh, controller. Um, you know, it's a, it's a numbers game. He, Lonnie Chen gets rave reviews all around. Uh, he's he's raised a ton of money for for that race. He's raised a couple million bucks more than Malia Cohen, his his Democrat, democratic uh, lightly uh, opponent. But you know, there's there's 47 percent of registered voters in California are Democrats, 24 are Republicans. Since everybody votes the party line, you know the math isn't there for Republicans right now. Even if someone is a you know a and like Lonnie Chen is really no, he's never held elective office, so he doesn't have like a, a, a long paper trail. Um, but but still, the, the challenge is he's going to be associated with all the sins of uh, Republicans who've come before him in California. And Trump here is still very toxic. He is. And, you know, I, I do wonder, like, if you look at the Senate race, Alex Padilla sailing, you know, he had never been on the ballot before statewide as senator. Uh, and, you know, I wonder, you know, maybe it's Pollyanna to even ask this question, but how well served are voters by having, you know, these very important jobs just sort of sewn up without their, you know, Bonta had no Democratic competition. Padilla has no competition really from either side. He cleared the field. Ro Khanna thought about getting in, but didn't. I mean, and, you know, it's good for Democrats as a party, but I don't know. Is, but it, is, is it? it the best I mean, thing? is it ultimately? Because that well, also would, might be. They would the, say it is. Yeah, but that also might be why we're getting some of this backlash in local races and seeing this frustration that, you know, yeah. Jim? Maybe, it, maybe it leads to some of the voter apathy we've seen. I mean, the, right now we're looking at, what, 20% turnout. It may peak at 28% turnout. This is what I'm writing for Sunday in the Chronicle. It's like, why is this? And one of the reasons are is that, that people are frustrated that things aren't getting done. Right. You know, two years ago, uh, many Californians, particularly Democrats, Democrats voted to like, you know, I want to uh, bring in Biden and bring back, you know, and Democrats because, you know, uh, Trump is not paying attention to COVID and the pandemic. And so we want something stabilizing. Well, okay. So the pandemic is lessened, et cetera, et cetera, but it's still not gone away. Gas prices are higher. The homelessness situation is still around. 
cost of living is still nuts. They One sure out didn't of take it out on Newsom, though. They did no, not. They did not. They did not. Because and no, maybe yeah, some this, of this apathy is how we end up with uh, Diane Feinstein still, <laughs> as Guy points out. All right. You're listening to Political Breakdown. Uh, I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and we are talking election results with San Francisco Chronicle senior political writer Joe Garofoli. I want to remind our listeners this is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how you can support us, go to kqed.org. So let's turn now to congressional races. Um, these were not as exciting in terms of the outcomes on Tuesday, but these are going to be the races we will be watching moving into the fall that we will be talking about that hopefully you'll see our friendly faces on national media talking about because they do come calling, right, Joe? But Oh, yes. Okay, so we have, you know, I, I think by account, what, five to six races that are looking pretty competitive. Yeah. And let's start with the one we haven't talked about previously, which is Palm Springs. Palm Springs, CD41. Yeah, so this is, you know, Ken Calvert is the Republican uh, incumbent down there. And, you know, I I don't think I could tell you three things about Ken uh, Ken Calvert, really. He's kind of a backbencher, hasn't really, you know, done anything to merit a lot of headlines. Probably thought he was going to cruise to re-election, and he might yet, but that district was redrawn, and they added Palm Springs, which is very Democratic. And you've got this young guy, Will Rollins, who's a former federal prosecutor, openly gay, with a lot of help from Barbara Boxer now, who lives yes. down there and would love to see uh, Ken Calvert go away so that he isn't her Congress member. But, you know, what do you make of that race, Joe? It does look, you know, he did quite well, uh, Rollins. I think he got about 35 percent to maybe, I don't know, 43 or so for Calvert. Is that a, is that a real horse race? It could be, yeah. And But, uh, again, Democrats need to to do something to boost turnout. Uh, and, and, and one thing that, that happened this week to, that made do that is they're trying to put a constitutional amendment uh, to ban abortion on the ballot in November. Uh, some Democrats feel that that's going to uh, boost turnout and and uh, and get you know, some suburban uh, women in particular uh, and, and some of the other tight house races in Orange County and suburban Los Angeles, the, the Mark, uh, Mike Garcia, Christy Smith race, um, to get the turnout there. But, but I, I've been talking to others who say like, you know, that might make people fill in their circle a little harder when they do the ballot. When they, uh, uh, that's a, that was a very odd visual to do on radio. Uh, but, uh, but it's not going to bring that many new people to, to, the, um, to the table just because everybody's opinions about abortion are so you know, in cement at this yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I do think, though, I personally have a hard time making any strong predictions about what is going to be driving voters by November, given just what oh. a whiplash just the few last months have been, how up in the air a lot of the step around inflation is. Um, and then to your point, the Roe v. Wade decision, I think, really... Uh, even and, and and guns, you know, I mean, I do think that there are at least segments of the Democratic base here in California, young people, most notably, that could be activated by what happens nationally around that stuff. I mean, one interesting race, you know, that I think we're all going to be paying a lot of attention to is in the Central Valley, David Valadeo uh, versus Rudy Salas, uh, this uh, Democratic assemblyman. And. Salas is looking pretty strong in that. I he's, mean, yeah, he's surprisingly, got I think almost two to one uh, against uh, Valadeo. Now there were other Republicans running, but even you know when you add up all the Republican votes to what Salas had, there it's about even. You know, maybe yeah. a little bit less. Um, so uh, that'll be an interesting race. And you know, Salas is well known down there. He's born and raised in the Central Valley. Has gotten elected down there, so that will definitely. And that is a probably and, the most pro-democratic district held by a Republican in California. And he's a, he's more on the moderate Democrat. He's not like the the the, the uh, on the progressive side. So that's a good fit for that district. So that 
Valdez, is, he's in trouble. He's in serious trouble. What do you think and Trump's has, role and, and will be? Kinda, well, he, that's the thing. He's in no man's land when it comes to Trump because he voted. He, uh, you know, uh, Trump hasn't certainly is not going to come out for him based on some of the votes that uh, uh, Valdeo took against him when he's president. But at the same time, you know, uh, you know, Valdeo has to kind of appeal to the Trump base. It's it's he's in a he's in a, a tough spot. Yeah. I mean, I do think, though, that what, you know, what we were talking about before, where people really do vote their party line, these congressional races can be one of those areas where where you see a little bit of difference there. And another interesting race is going to be playing out between Michelle Steele and Jay Chen. This is down in Orange County. Um a district that was really drawn with the idea in mind that Asian Americans should have some serious political power. And now you have uh, a face off between a Democrat and a Republican, both Asian American. And I don't know. I just think that's going to be an interesting one because Jay Chen is, you know, does have a good kind of profile for that district. It seems he's a former prosecutor. Um, yeah. And, and good fundraiser. And, and Joe, the, you know, the politics of the Asian American communities down there, the Vietnamese community, you've got the Chinese community. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and whether some of the national or international issues around Taiwan and China even communism, come into play yeah. there. Communism, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that you, you definitely hear about communism down there because many of the folks who, who are, uh, are immigrants from, from Vietnam in particular, uh, which is – and Little Saigon is right in the middle of that district. I was, I, I was down there writing about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, the, the, the other thing that's interesting about that district is – you talk, Marisa, you were talking about how uh, people, voters can go. That's one, one place where uh, folks can get out of their partisan shells. Um, many of the Vietnamese voters uh, will vote uh, based on personality uh, more than they would reflexively vote party line. And so that's, it's very important for both of those candidates to get out and, and, and meet people and interact. And really, they're, they're doing a lot of uh, uh, one-on-one interactions down there because, because of that. Well, we have to leave it there, but luckily we so have sad. months before Let's keep November. Talking to after the music it's over ends. already. Like it's over. <laughs> Joe Garofoli from the San Francisco Chronicle. We appreciate you and your insights. And always. your vest. Oh, thank you. I can't see that, guys, but he's got a killer vote, 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 vote vest, vest on. Yeah. That represents one for every person who voted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, that Seven of them. <laughs> That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Again, you can find the latest election results and coverage at kqed.org slash elections. Our producer is Guy Marzrati, our engineer Katie McMurrin. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Maurice Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at mlagos, but I will be hiding after this I know where to events. find you. <laughs> Have a good one, everyone. Bye. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night. 
knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.